Welcome to Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Owen Shadrick, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Johnny Maffey. Johnny, we had an excellent interview with Jill Guerin, who's doing great things in Visalia. I got it right this time. Yeah, Jill is great. Thanks to everyone for tuning in, whether you're watching or listening. Thanks to everyone for also listening to the D1 opening day, Valentine's Day special last week. Those guys, uh, it was a fun weekend watching them, watching some real baseball back on the field this week. When we talked to Jill, the baseball was still locked out. I think it probably still is on this Monday release day. But, um, you know, we talked about that, the minor league situation, and we got down to it. We, we had a great conversation with Jill, and I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Yeah, we had a great conversation with Jill. She's had a unbelievable career journey from Nashua to Visalia and is currently doing awesome in the announcing circles. And, you know, she's an Emerson alum, so we had a lot to say about that as well. Yeah, Jill was an Emerson Lions softball alum, made a couple all-new Mac teams during her time here, hit a few dingers down at Rochfield in the south end. If you're ever driving up or down 93 north, that's the turf soccer field that they make into a softball field that you might even see me and the baseball team practicing on there as well. Um, but yeah, she was great. She learned a lot in Boston with the Red Sox, with the EI, with the Paw Sox, and of course with Nashua. She traveled up and down to Holman Stadium during 2018 during that summer and called some games them. And hey, she's a great example of what the Futures League all about, just stepping stone to the to bigger things. Yeah, Jill, a great example of what the Futures League represents. And Folks, keep staying tuned on our social media and team social media for roster announcements. The season gets closer and closer by each episode released. We can't wait for the season to finally come in May. But for now, we want to get you to this interview with Jill. So we're going to send you to our interview with Jill Guerin. Let's roll. At this time, we are honored to be joined by our next guest. She is an Emerson alum, soft, former softball player, also a former play-by-play voice for the Nashville Silver Knights, turned pro, is now the voice of the Arizona Diamondbacks single-A affiliate, the the Visalia Rawhide. It's Jill Guerin. Jill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. We're very glad to finally have you on. So we're going to start off with kind of a general background question. What's the short story of you ending up in Visalia, which is just a few hours up I-5 North from uh, Hermosa Beach, where you're from? So it's actually a very um, Emerson Mafia story. So Julian Rifkin, who was a senior on the baseball team when I was a freshman on the softball team at Emerson, um, we knew each other from that. And Julian at the time was the director of baseball operations when I found out that the Rawhide had an opening. So reached out to him, said, hey, do you think it'd be a good fit? And he said, I don't know, but I can put your name in for our general manager. And she contacted me. And the rest is history. I think I only had two interviews and they were pretty informal over the phone. And uh, that was in October. And then my first day was January 3rd in 2019. Yeah, that's awesome. That's It's always about who you know. We talk about that all the time. And before we get more into your career there, we want to talk about your upbringings in Nashua. What brought you to Nashua originally to start calling games during the summer of 2018? So Tim Neverett was a huge help with that. Tim is now the uh, one of the play-by-play voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So he was a big help because at the time, his brother BJ was the manager of the team. I think that might've been BJ's last year or 2019 was. And Tim said, hey, if you want to do this, you got to get a reel because you focused way too much on softball and did not do enough play-by-play during your collegiate career. So I went and did that. 
and it was a lot of fun. I couldn't do as many games as I wish I could have because of either rain delays. Um, they didn't have me travel with the team then. And I also was still interning with the Red Sox and at the time the Pawtucket Red Sox. So I was running around between three states that summer. Yeah, that's half of New England right there. The most, some people call it the most important New England states. So, um, so the, we know the big difference between Nashua and Visalia, the teams, the players, you know, one of them gets paid, one, one group doesn't. You know, the road trips versus home stands versus, you know, the regional schedule and the Futures League. But once the gates open, what's the biggest difference you think for the fans and the fan experience in I, out there in her, uh, Visalia versus Nashua? I think it's the players are almost the same age in single a we have some guys between the ages of 18 and 22 uh this last year after the draft we did pick up some some college kids who had just graduated so that was a little bit different in terms of ages but i think the fans really it's the same sort of thing where it's just fun family entertainment you have fun with it uh, I think really the fans know that each of these players are professional athletes. So it's a little bit different while in Nashua, they know these are college kids who are still getting better. And there might be a little bit of a higher standard that the fans have for these rawhide players. Yeah. And obviously, you know, it's, there were, you talked about the reps that you had in Nashua. So how does your experience and the reps that you got in Nashua help you to where you are today? The, I mean, my time in Nashua was so important because I got those really bad broadcasts out of the way where you have no idea how to describe a play. There's something that you saw. And, and, and luckily enough, I played softball where I understand the game very well and I know how to explain it and teach it as a coach too, but it's so different with explaining that for radio versus playing. So being able to figure out that difference and kind of have some, again, like bad games where I just got that out of my system and I needed to do that before I got to Visalia. And I, I saw a lot of growth in Nashua and I got immediate feedback from Tim and other people in the Nashua front office. So that was helpful and quite frankly needed. Yeah, it's funny. Chris Berman just did a, uh, you know, a bunch of interviews before the Super Bowl and he was like, all right, you know, sometimes in baseball when it's every day, it's like you look at it like hockey, like, oh, we only let one bias. Like, that's all right. Right. Exactly. It's I'm still learning. It's my third season, fourth year with the weird pandemic year doing play by play, able to do all of the games. And there's still times where in between innings, I'll turn to the woman who's next to me in the booth and I'll go, what did I just say? What was I trying to say? It's, it's, it's kind of the beauty of broadcasting. You have to be able to make fun of yourself a lot. And sometimes I'll, I'll do that on air too. Yeah. I do that on this podcast, like twice, a, <laughs> twice an episode. So. Right. I think my, my best thing that I did was, um, I thought it was a home run. And it turned out to be a ground rule double. So I called it wrong. And I was just really confused with what was going on. No, I think it was actually a foul ball. And so I was really confused that, okay, it's a ground rule double. And I saw him going back to the plate and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then I said, oh my gosh, it was a foul ball. I'm so sorry. Error on Jill, error on the broadcaster, E Jill. And mm -hmm. that's, that's just something that you have to make fun of and, and make sure you feel human to your listeners. Yeah, so you brought up uh, Tim, Mr. Neverett's name. Shout out to him. He's one of my teachers this semester too. 
we just had Joe Castiglione on for our class today. And he gave a little shade to the Yankees broadcasters who called a home run incorrectly during the playoffs this year. So it mm-hmm. happens to everyone. <laughs> yep. It's Joe funny. will throw shade at the Yankees whenever he can. So definitely. So part of these, part of your experience now, you got uh, to call a game on uh, an Arizona Fall League game on MLB Network this year. First off, how cool is that? And second, how do you deal with, you know, just the thoughts going through your head when you get these cool new opportunities? It was awesome. The The Fall League was an interesting thing that came about where they really wanted diverse voices and it kind of was slapped together fairly last minute. And I was lucky enough to be one of the people available to do it on MLB network for the inning. And then the rest of the time was on MLB.com. It's, it's chaotic because I had to, you know, I wasn't picking up my life for a full season, but I had plans. I have a full-time job with the rawhide. So I had to quickly figure out a way to get to Arizona, find a place to stay and do research on these players. So it was pretty chaotic, which just tends to be the business that we're in. So it's, it's good to prepare for that. And in, in terms of what goes through my mind with these big opportunities, I try not to freak out about them too much. I, I think when I was younger, I did. I felt like the whole weight of the world and women on my shoulders and things like that. But now I feel established enough and, and confident enough with who I am that like I'm getting these opportunities because I'm good. So it's not, it's okay. It's, it's going to be okay. You deserve this. You're good enough. And that's just kind of what I have to repeat to myself. Absolutely. You're there because you're great. You're great at what you do. You roll with the punches. But for those who couldn't tell, you know, Jill's a big deal because of some of these elephant in the room stats too. First woman to call a triple A game, one of five women last year in the minors. We we have to ask, you know, what it's like, you know, that you're trailblazing some of these paths. Um, we won't spend too much time on it because there are bigger and better reasons that you're doing it. But it's it's interesting. I mean, I was 22 when I was hired and I found out I was the third woman in history to do what I'm doing. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know. I just want to talk about baseball. <laughs> this sounds like fun. This is cool. This is what I like. Um, like I said, I put the weight of the world on my shoulders for a little bit and I've hit a point where I feel a lot better. And as much as I want this to be normalized and not, um, made a spectacle about things. You know, we have these all women broadcasts, which are awesome, but sometimes it feels like it's a one and done thing and we can check off our diversity box. And and that's not what we're here to do. We're here to bring important opinions and point of views to this great game of baseball and, and other sports. So for my standpoint, I don't want it to be something like a spectacle, something that we just talk about and don't do anything about. But I do also understand that I need to be visible for young girls to know that this is an option for them to pursue. Yeah. You know, you're, you're quoted saying, sometimes you just want to be Jill. You just want to talk baseball. And, and that's super important too. Is it, is it a goal to not make it a storyline? I think so. I, I don't think that's going to happen soon. I think that might be a 10, 15 year plan because we still deal with a lot of sexism in the workplace and things that we're dealing with, or especially with social media. With social media, I'm not sure if this is ever going to go away, to be honest. Um, so I think the goal is this isn't, the headline isn't that she's a woman. The headline is this woman was hired. I think there's a difference between those two headlines. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one reason that you're in baseball, you told Baseball America, your dad put a scorebook in your hand very, very early. Would you be calling a different sport in a different realm of media if it wasn't for that, do you think? Maybe. I think softball and baseball was always my sport. That was what I played when I was six all the way through college. I never picked up basketball, which I think broke my dad's heart because he played basketball in college. Um, but softball was what I liked. And I think I could see myself being involved in sports still, but I'm not sure if it would be broadcasting or if it would be specifically baseball and softball. Um, but without my dad teaching me how to score a game and then us being able to talk about the strategy of why did this player throw it a second instead of first? Learning that stuff when you're eight is important to your growth as understanding the game and as a player. You know, I, I wasn't going to the ballparks learning about baseball because I wanted to be an amazing broadcaster. It was because I wanted to play for the Olympic softball team when I was eight years old. So there was a much different way that I learned the game of baseball, almost closer to the players that I cover than other broadcasters. Yeah, and that's that's incredibly unique and something that definitely is, you know, what sets you apart from others. We saw on your social media, you know, you obviously go to games, you post with your dad. Um, is it different going to a game now because you don't have as much time on your hands in the summer? A little bit, I think. With him, I mean. Yeah. Trying to remember the last time I went to a major league baseball game as a fan. That might have been 2019 and I was like still networking and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just love spending time with my dad. He is, I'm an only child as well. So he is awesome. Both my parents are super supportive and great. And sports is just something that my dad and I have come together on. It's something that we love to do. We'll watch the Patriots games together, watch Red Sox games, go to Kings games. That tends to be the one that I can go to the most because it's during the holiday season. So that's kind of become our thing. But yeah, sporting events and my dad are something that I do miss going to more. Before we return to our interview with former Silver Knights announcer, Jill Guerin, we want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England. Not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and hitting net, or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. The team at 78 Sports has designed and installed hundreds of home and commercial sports training facilities, so let them help you plan the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 Sports website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. For a limited time, just by mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. Now, back to Jill. And speaking of professional sports and professional baseball, the Current question, the current issue of Major League Baseball is the lockout. It continues as we are recording on Wednesday the 16th. It doesn't seem like there's an end in sight, and it only gets worse with Evan Drellick reporting that some minor or the MLB doesn't want minor leaguers to be paid. We're going to talk about this for a little bit, but kind of just off the top, what was your in initial reaction when you saw that? Yeah, the good the good news for for me, I mean, selfishly, is we still have minor league baseball, and that's something that I care about because I did lose a full year of my career 
with broadcasting baseball in 2020. So selfishly, I'm really happy that at least we're not going to be too affected by it in terms of having games and having players. Um, as far as the growth of the game, it's not good, obviously, where there's these kids who are looking forward to baseball season and you have to try to explain to them why these grown men are fighting about things and why there's no baseball for them to watch except for minor leagues. Uh, in terms of the no play, the no paying of players, I am fortunate enough to get very close with some of these guys where they become like brothers to me. And they tend not to, especially with how young they are, speak out about it, but I get pretty angry for them. And I have to be very careful to choose my words because I am also the media relations manager for the Rawhide. So technically I am the spokesperson for them. But in this podcast, I'm going to be Jill, the person who cares about the players that she covers. So <laughs> disclaimer. Um, yeah, I'm angry. These guys are your athletes that you should be caring for and taking care of. And some of them cannot afford to not be paid in the off season. And as a broadcaster, sometimes we're seasonal and I'm personally understand the seasonal aspect. I'm not um, gonna be really angry about that. The not getting paid during spring training thing is ridiculous in any other profession. If you have to have someone there for training, which is what they call them trainees, you are legally supposed to pay them. I understand legally that Major League Baseball has, I, I forget the correct term for it, but they have um, a loophole, essentially, that went to the Supreme Court, completely legal, all of that. I think that should be overturned. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how to do that. This is just what I witness. <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm angry. I'm not happy. <laughs> Yeah, neither are we. And we were talking about it earlier, just between the two of us about how, especially in the Futures League, there's so many minor leaguers that, former minor leaguers that make up the heart and soul of our league. So seeing things like this and how they don't want to be paid, it's it's a shame because all these guys are impacting the game by teaching college kids before they even get to the minors about the ins and outs of baseball and how to improve the game. And you said it's just ridiculous and we couldn't agree more with that. Right. So specifically, like you said, a lot of these guys who are assigned for the minors don't make it to the majors and they are the ones who are then teaching the next generation. They're coaching at JUCOs in high school. They're volunteering at little leagues. They're participating in things like driveline where they're now the people doing this stuff and helping you and they are growing your game. We're worried that baseball is dying. Want to know how it grows? These minor leaguers that you cut they go and help take care of the game. And if you don't treat them well, they're not going to do that. And, and people are saying back in the day, this, this, and that times are changing. It's 2022. There's a woman who's traveling with a baseball team and that did not happen 10 years ago. So time to, to get with it. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and to that point, like you can say back in the day in any conversation in baseball, any topic of baseball, you can say back in the day, but in the reality, it's 2022. And, you know, obviously driveline's great. I've done their programs. I've, I've met some of those guys. The futures league is great. I, we both work there. We both love the people we work with, but it's like in high school, we were coached by this, you know, former minor league or former indie ball in these summer teams. And so even little league, it's, it's, it just, it affects every part of the game. 
and it's not just um, I'm recycling this from another podcast I did too, but it's not just, you know, A-Rod and Big Poppy being told to have fun and like, that's not the only way the game is grown by, by those two being on TV in October. Right. And, and you have to remember that some of these players are signed when they're 16 years old in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, um, not Puerto Rico because they have to go through the draft system, but um, a lot of other Latin American countries. So they're signed for some of them, a decent amount of money. There, there's some international players that are, that have good money, but by the time they make it to here in Visalia, that's probably year three, year four, and they're helping their families back home and they're spending their money and they might have blown through that money by now. You, there's, there's so many layers to it. And no matter how you look at it, it's, if you respect your employees and you value them, prove it. And I don't believe that major league baseball as a whole is doing it. There are a lot of steps moving forward that have been good. The players are getting paid more. That's amazing. When they are in spring training, they have housing and a majority of food paid for. Amazing. That's great. We are now providing housing for players. Is it the best housing ever? No, but it's a step forward. And I don't want to disregard what Major League Baseball has been doing because that's great. And I'm I'm not trying to discredit that at all. Right. But there are still more steps to be taken and they should be taken fairly quickly. Now, of course, the lockout is probably their biggest issue and they should focus on that. But I need there to be an advocate for minor league players because there isn't one right now. Well, they're they're kind of directly involving this minor league talk with the lockout, with the recent news. But so with the, the new housing rule, what do you know about that, whether it's with the rawhide or just in general in single A baseball? So is it good? Is it? It's a step. I like the step. I think it's a great step, but for low A, it's it's not bad at all. I don't think. Um, for certain players who are married and have children, there's still a lot of loopholes that the teams are finding that are going to hinder those players. So um adequate housing includes host families and hotels. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally don't like that because I think these players should be having kitchens where they can cook for themselves, especially on off days or breakfast, but there's ways for them to get around it. There's a microwave, there's a fridge in the hotels, host families might let them cook and they get like three meals a day when they're in the ballpark um, and they get fed on the road at least two, three meals a day as well. So there's ways to go around it. For us, we have really good host families. I actually think it's really beneficial for these 18-year-old kids to have host families and have some kind of grounding. And we're putting them up in the in one of the nicest hotels in Visalia where there's good food, it's safe, it's walking distance to the ballpark so they don't have to have a car or Uber or, I mean, I would get texts at 11 a.m. saying, Jill, I can't find an Uber. Can you please come get us? So there's, it's a positive thing for sure again, where it gets tricky is we have players who are married and have children. They should not be in a host family. That's uncomfortable. Um, A hotel is tough for a wife to live for a long period of time. So I do think that there 
could be another way where they just give these guys stipends and they pay for the hotels if that's what they want to do. If they don't want to live with a host family, they can get a stipend because right now, if the players opt out of host families or hotels, then they have to pay for it themselves. So I think that's the next step is to accommodate certain players, even if it's on a case-by-case basis. Okay, if you really don't want to pay for it, then make it a case-by-case basis or help a player that you know has a wife that travels because we had um, two players last year who wives traveled everywhere and they just drove themselves to the opposing teams. Yeah, you know, a lot of that, um, I don't even know, there's so much there. A lot of it is, uh, it's tough when you say case-by-case basis because then these billionaires can just say oh all case like they, they can just get around that too but one one player that you covered he's actually a local guy matt Tabor. um you know he was he played for northeast baseball he worked with you know he was taught by these grow the game guys that never made um never made it that we were talking about a few minutes ago but he was a third rounder back in 2017 for the arizona diamondbacks went to milton academy which is in massachusetts obviously um he had a thread that you know got a lot of buzz on twitter you retweeted but you talked about that, like, you know, the air mattresses and the lack of nutrition and stuff like that. So it is important. So I guess my question is, like, this can kind of wrap up this conversation if you want, but what will it take to change? Like, is it stipends or is it, you know, there, there's more than just a couple steps left, you know? Yeah. Um, the air mattress thing is real. We had six players living in a two-bedroom apartment. One of them had an air mattress in a closet. And I know players in the off season who wake up at 4 a.m. to go do construction jobs and then they go to the gym afterwards and he found a wall in his apartment complex to throw against. So again, that's not how professional baseball should be, in my opinion. Um, I don't have all the answers. To me, the best thing that is going to cost the owners money, unfortunately, so it's probably not the best compromise, is to like rent out the dorms or something like like that. Get some, talk to our our local, for for us, we have a a local JUCO that they could maybe figure out about getting dorms somehow Mm -hmm. or find an apartment complex where you just block off a certain amount of rooms Mm -hmm. and you pay for that. Now the issue with apartments is it's only for a certain amount of months throughout the year. So then that gets tricky. there have been ideas thrown around of buy a house and have basically like a frat house, which sounds a little bit dangerous when you put like 18 year olds in a house <laughs> together. It sounds like you're back in college. Um, stipends make the most sense too. And it can be a flat rate. Um, that'd be tough where then there's some AAA teams that get a lot, that's a lot more expensive to live there. Um, I don't know. I think we like, hope there are more steps taken forward in the future. Yes, it's it's tough. Before we get back to our interview with Jill Guerin, we want to share a message from our friends at Zorian Bat Company. Rob Zorian started the company Zorian Bat Company in 2003, literally out of the trunk of his car in Davie, Florida. Within two years, he was selling his wood bat line to Major League Baseball and continuing to manufacture the highest grade wood bats for Little League all the way up to the Major Leagues. Rob Zorian, founder and president of Zorian Bats, says, I started the company in 2003 to service all baseball players in the United States and beyond. And after 19 years, our mission has not changed. 
We are very excited to have the opportunity to work with the Futures League and wish all of our players and coaches a healthy and successful season ahead. To find out more information about Zorian, go to ZorianBats.com. That's Z-O-R-I-A-N Bats.com. Zorian, America's baseball brand. Now back to our interview with Jill Guerin. To move on a little, a little more fun stuff, I guess, and more back into your past. Uh, let's rewind a little. In 2018, you said you were doing the Knights games, obviously, but you also were with the Paw Sox and with WEI doing Red Sox stuff. Three states. Can you take us through like a three-day schedule? Like wh- what was going on in the agenda in your mind? Yeah, so I lived in Brighton, so at least in Boston. On the and- green line, the beautiful green line. Yes, exactly. Gotta love the green <laughs> line. Um, so let's just say it was – Let's go like Paw Sox, Red Sox, Nashua. Let's let's do that order. So mm-hmm. I would take the commuter rail into Pawtucket and then either Uber or walk to um, the stadium, work, hope that I got off early enough to catch the last train going back to South Station. If that didn't happen, I had a friend who lived there who would come pick me up and I'd crash there and then take the train in. So then for and for the for the paw socks i did like fan entertainment i helped get like kids and stuff like that for the um for the games and then with the red socks i'd have to be at the field usually by like three o'clock and um so i'd get the commuter rail wake up take the tea into fenway work the game i would be in the clubhouse after the game covering just getting some audio interviews and whatnot, and then take the train back to Brighton and sleep. For Nashua, I would take the bus either the the bus either to Salem or to Nashua, usually to Salem, New Hampshire, because my aunt lived there. And then I'd borrow her car and drive to the Nashua games. And then after the Nashua games, sleep in Salem and then get the bus back to Boston. So that was my mornings i just i have a headache going trying to go through all that your own schedule but that's that's insane that you did all that in one summer and i have to ask we're obviously big fans of the red sox 2018 what was it like covering that historic baseball team i mean in my middle school graduation speech i told people i was going to be the announcer for the red sox and then i ended up working there a few years later for a championship team so It was really cool. I was really upset that they didn't win at home. In fact, my dad went to the game that they won it all in LA and he didn't fly me out. So I still have beef with my dad about that. (laughs) Um, But I mean, it's so cool. You know, my, my childhood team, I got to experience what it was like and see the camaraderie. And even if it wasn't my childhood team, to be a part of a championship team is so exciting and so much fun to just watch them grow. It's one of the best things ever. Cause I did that with the rawhide in 2019, which was fun to watch too. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like, I don't know how else to say other than it was freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us covering the futures league, it's so awesome getting up and close with these guys during all the championship series and just seeing all the raw motion after a long season and stuff. It's, I can't even imagine doing that for the Red Sox. Right. They, they were just so put together, like such a good team, next man up type of thing. Like just so cool to see that every night. 
yeah, it was a fantastic club. And we, I still watch highlights of it hundred percent. And so we're going to go a little hypothetical here. If you were to start a futures collegiate softball league, would you implement the home run derby and extras? I like it. I think it's fun, especially in the summer when these players and athletes need a little bit more rest. However, in softball, pitchers don't need as much rest because the motion is easier on the rotator cuff and more natural. So might not be needed. I would probably actually ask their college coaches opinions and kind of see how they want their athletes to be used. Yeah, there's definitely an argument, a great argument for it in summer ball versus, you know, we talked to, we had a little D1 special last week and talked to the guys and they were like, no, I don't want a weekend against my conference rival to come down to a home run derby. With that being said, do you think it could spread throughout the minors or even up to the MLB? I don't think so. I'd be shocked. It'd be, there'd be so many people against it that people already hate the runner on second rule. So I do not see it happening. And it's, it's not a good way to, to end it. A shootout makes sense in hockey or in soccer, not, not in baseball. Yeah. And then, all right, one more hypothetical court. Well, actually we have two more, but if you were to be the GM or president, what would you name your softball, your futures collegiate softball league team? Like, the riveters like rosie the riveter maybe nice that's a good one yeah there's so many good uh good minor league and we've seen some new great futures league nicknames around the country um what's your favorite like mascot or nickname you've came across come across um i like lake elsinore's theirs is um thunder there so they're the storm and then they have thunder and then there's mini thunder where there's like a smaller mascot running around so those, and they come into the booth and will like interact with me during games, which is always fun. That's great. That's what minor league baseball is all about right there. Exactly. Especially for the fans. So you're a California native there, believe it or not, for those who don't know a lot of those at Emerson, a lot of people from across the country at Emerson, what brought you across the country to school? The ability to play softball and also get an education was important to me. My dad's originally from Massachusetts. So it kind of was like coming home for me because I have family back East and I visited every summer. Um, it made sense that I was going to go to school in Boston and Emerson just had a really good, um, school, obviously really well known. And I love the idea of being able to play softball as well. And, and I was lucky enough to be, um, a starter for a majority of my time there too. Yeah, not only were you a starter, but you were named to multiple NUMAC all-conference teams. How does that translate your experience at Emerson Softball? How does that translate to what you're doing now? I think one thing about playing sports is you learn how to act or interact with a lot of different personalities, even if there's other athletes that you, like, quite frankly, don't like, but you have to work well with them and be respectful to them. That's a huge part of sports. Uh, I think my ability to understand the stress that some of these players are under really helps me as well. I, um, I kind of market myself as I'm an extremely unique individual. Not only am I a woman where that comes with a different point of view, but I'm a former athlete who is really good at connecting with these players and understanding where they're coming from. And even if I don't get it completely, cause I, and I'm I'm this white girl from Hermosa Beach, California. And then there's this kid who's from Venezuela, who this is his first time in the United States. There's not a lot for us to 
really find a common ground on, but I did play and I do understand what it's like to deal with coaches and to deal with traveling and to deal with those pressures. So I think my, again, I market myself as a very unique individual and broadcaster because of that. All right. Something else that's unique is the Emerson college softball field. I'm going to describe Roch fields to the listeners as best I can. And you're going to fill in the blanks. So it's a turf soccer field in the South end. It has a building in left field. That's like the Padres Western metal supply co building, or even the Camden yards warehouse that's in left. And then 93 South rush hour traffic is above the field and right field, not literally above the field, but you know, you can hear it the whole time. If, if you're at first base trying to talk to the left fielder, they probably can't hear you. Uh, am I missing anything? No, that pretty much sums it up. There's a lot of wind too. It's like in a wind tunnel there. Yeah, there's there's no uh, there's obviously a lot of wind tunnels in Boston. I love it. I'm glad it's there because we, you know, I'm a pitcher. I, I use it to long toss. I, I'm jealous of it. I wish the baseball team had one here, uh, right, just the, as close. The softball team was very lucky that it was only a mile walk for us to go to practice and games. For I always felt bad for the baseball team, where sometimes you were traveling further to home games and you were away games yes sometimes we we won't get into that though that's all right um (laughs) you hit a couple dingers there throughout your career um did you ever hit the building did not hit the building i it's weird i'm built like a power hitter but there is something where i like was consistently more of a ground rules double kind of person i don't know why um never hit the building i've seen an opposing player hit the building and that was wild (laughs) That's awesome. Well, the ground doubles make sense. You know, it's bouncing off the turf over there, over the the portable fence. Uh, what did you, I guess, like so much about, you know, having that city in the campus? I mean, campus in the city, excuse me. Yeah, I, I love that there were other schools nearby. I am definitely more of a city girl. Um, I can, I can live in the country. I can live in a smaller town, but it's not a forever thing for me. Um, I just like the hustle and bustle and that there's always something to do and something, if I need something, there's plenty of stores to go get it. So I really did like the city. And I think specifically for journalism, it's so important to be in a big city or near a big city because not to hate on other schools, but sometimes the only news station you have is the one on campus, which is totally fine because you get your reps and that's all that matters. But it was really easy for me to find internships and that was important as a softball player to not have to travel really far for internships. Yeah, absolutely. And that just brings up my next question perfectly. You know, in the classroom, um, we have some great teachers too. Some you're still in touch with, obviously. What is some stuff, something you maybe learn that you still use on a daily basis or weekly basis throughout the course of a season? So my professor, Marsha, she would tell me to follow the money. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I was like, you know, like you don't need to follow the money in sports, but no, you, you do. Cause let's be honest with this lockout, the money makes the world go round. So for me, I was always, whenever I read a story, I always try to look at it from a financial standpoint. And usually if you look at it from that way, you can figure out why something is happening. Yeah, that's great. And I know I went to UMass, so I know that it was, it was always important to be in touch with professors and take advantage of whatever you could on campus. And a couple more questions here before we get to our final segment. 
You said you lived in Brighton. You obviously went to Emerson. What were some of your favorite restaurants and bars in Boston? Barcelona wine bar. I miss it so much. I, I think I dream about it sometimes. And I mean, good food, like, like, I mean, come on, like girls love charcuterie boards. Right. And that's basically all that it was. So that was hands down. One of my favorites, um, as an Emerson kid, you have to like the Tam for the bars. Right. (laughs) Um, and then other restaurants that I liked, um, in Fenway, the baseball tavern was always really good food. I liked it there. Um, and I always went to rock bottom a lot too. Yeah, rock bottom right behind campus. Obviously, the Tam right next to it. Um, did you ever go to Maria's late night for food? Maria's wasn't a late night. That was more of a I forgot to pack a dinner and I need to go to the journalism lab after practice. So I went and got a burrito. Perfect. Well, we 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 do another podcast and they give us a little Super Bowl platter for it. So we just wanted to shout out and thank them again on this one. They're awesome. They're so cute. When we graduated, I think after every year, they put a sign saying, thank you, Emerson grads. Like, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. They're, uh, but yeah, a lot of great spots. Owen and I usually hit up uh, Loretta's near Fenway too for, <laughs> for those. Yeah, Loretta's those is spots. good. Yep. Yeah, we love our Boston restaurants and our Boston bars, and we love our Maria's Taqueria, of course. And we now move on to our final segment. It's called Quick Hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field hat of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So, Joe, we've got a couple more questions for audience to get to know you better. Is that cool? Cool. All right, so first question. What was your favorite booth that you've broadcasted in? Anyway, oh, I haven't broadcasted there. Lake Elsinore. It's like Fenway where it's really high up and has, like, big windows. Awesome. And then do you have a least favorite booth that you broadcasted in? The rawhide one. <laughs> it's, it's small. There's no air conditioning and it gets to be 105 degrees here. I'm just like all sweat by the end of a broadcast. Got to bring the fans. That's, that's important. Yep. And how about favorite field that you've called the game at? San Jose's is cool. San Jose has an old time feel as well. And then the one that I called um, at Salt River Fields at Talking Stick Point, that one's gorgeous because it's a really nice spring training facility. All right. And then what about either your most eventful or favorite road trip to an away game with the Rawhead? Most eventful, probably the Stockton Ports one. Um, that was when we clinched the first half. So we made the playoffs and that was my first champagne shower. That's awesome. And then what about a sports stadium or event on your bucket list as a fan to go to? I want to go to the Olympics. The Olympics well, counts as an answer. Got to wait a couple of years. If it's the winter, it might be too late for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's that's a good one. We definitely uh, obviously the Super Bowl is right near you too. Um, mm-hmm. Was there? Did you see any? Um, are you, are you in LA at home right now? Or are you in Vasilia? I was actually in LA for a Super Bowl weekend. So was that hectic and crazy? Did you see? There was a lot of Bengals fans. It was weird to see orange around. Yeah, that makes it. There were a lot of Niners fans the week before. So <laughs> no shade towards the Rams though. But uh, what about a bucket list game to call or event? So I more, this is actually, I think more than the world series for me. I want to broadcast a major league debut for one of the players that I've covered. 
I think to be able to be a part of their career and then to end up calling a debut for them. I mean, like cherry on top. Yeah, that's the perfect, you know, relationship. It just goes to show the full circle. That would definitely be awesome. And what about a favorite all-time baseball or softball memory? So I was in All-Stars in Little League when I'm like fifth grade or something like that. And it's the softball. So we won the All-Star Championship. And then this was in 2008. So then we went to Irvine, California to watch the 2008 Olympic softball team compete as a part of their road to Beijing. So like all-star game and then got to go see these Olympians play and get autographs. So and Crystal Bustos, who is my favorite player in softball, she signed my jacket. So that was, that was a pretty good day. Yeah, that's an awesome memory and certainly one you will never forget. Jill, that's all we got for you on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck with everything. And we can't wait to continue following you all season long. Yeah, thank you so much. If anyone ever needs to connect any girls or young broadcasters out there, feel free to find me on social. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. And this has been episode four of season four of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.